today's. In the beginning, the, wor the word already existed. The word was with God, and the word was God. From the very beginning, the word was with God. Through him, God made all things. Not one thing in all creation was made without him. And the reading of the God's word. Thank you. Well, as we just heard from Ron, our mission statement. And I'm going to ask you to read it together, if you can see it, which I think you can. So, TBC is a growing community where Jesus is worshipped and the gospel of his saving grace is proclaimed, where the presence of the Holy Spirit is felt and brings a passionate love for God and all who come. Two Sundays ago, uh, I talked about why we're all about Jesus. And the gospel, sorry, last week I spoke about what it means to worship him. And today we'll consider what it means to be a place where the gospel of his saving grace is proclaimed. Um, some boring stuff to get out of the way right away. I mentioned last week that the New Testament was written originally in Greek. The Greeks had uh, a word, a term, for a triumphant message of victory from the battlefield, or joyous political proclamations, or positive personal news. In other words, good news from a distance. The term was euangelion. In the New Testament... That term was what they used for the ultimate good news, the whole message of the New Testament concerning Jesus. And when the Greek New Testament was translated into Latin, euangelion was transliterated into evangelion, from which we get a word evangel, which means good news. The old English word for good news is God... Good spell news, which evolved into time into gospel. So to make a short story long, evangel, Latin, and gospel, English, have the very same meaning, good news. Now, why does this matter? It matters because evangelical churches are, by definition, gospel churches. Evangelical churches are gospel churches. We are churches built upon the gospel. We exist for the sake of the gospel. And I would argue that gospel proclamation is the central task of the evangelical church. What is this gospel? What is the good news that we are to proclaim? Or as the mission statement puts it, the gospel of his saving grace. Here, in a nutshell, is the gospel, though books have been written about it. Here it is in a nutshell. Bad news first. We have all committed sins. 
We have all done something against God's perfect standards. These sins separate us from God relationally, and they put us in the path of judgment. Okay? God's judgment is terrible, and our willful sin has done this. We need to be saved. So here's the good news, the gospel. God has to judge sin. He would not be just if he, said, if he just said, it's all right as long as you're sore. But he's also perfect love and wants us restored to himself. So he sent Jesus to die and be separated from him in our place. The punishment for our sin was placed on Jesus so that we, forgiven, might be restored to right standing with God, free from judgment and not separated from him. God did not have to do this, but he did. We do, don't deserve it. It's all grace. Now, the picture of this gospel can be filled in with detailed drawings and lots of color, but this is a broad stroke summary. This is the gospel of God's saving grace. This is the news that we proclaim. So then the question we ask is, why do we need to proclaim it? Isn't it enough to just believe it? I mean, you can share it with those few who ask you about it, but proclaim? That's a little strong, isn't it? Think of it this way. If the people around you, by the thousands, had cancer and going to die, and if you had the cure, would you just share it with those few who ask you, tell me why you don't have cancer. Wouldn't you make a YouTube video and hope it goes viral and proclaim that you have the cure for cancer? And anyone who comes to you can be saved from cancer. Would you save thousands or just five? Now, I'm not saying, of course, that we all need to pick a street corner and call out the gospel for everyone who passes by, or that we need to buttonhole people and say, whether you know it or not, you have cancer, and I have the cure. But we, as a church, as a public gathering, we proclaim the gospel. That's what we do. And that may sound obvious, but you can go to many evangelical churches and not hear the gospel even alluded to, even in churches that use the Bible to provide fodder for their sermons. Who does this remind you of? An innocent man betrayed by those closest to him, punished for a wrong he did not commit. After his punishment, though, he is exalted and giving full authority. He forgives those who wronged him. He delivers God's people from destruction and brings them into the land, good, prosperous, fruitful, glorious. And God has used what by any standards is a gross injustice as a means by which God's people are saved. Who does that remind you of? I'm talking about the Old Testament Joseph. 
And some years ago, I listened to a sermon on Joseph's life. It's one of the great Old Testament parallels of Jesus and mirrors the gospel. The point of the sermon, be patient. What a missed opportunity to proclaim the gospel. We as a church will proclaim the gospel. And if you are here on any given Sunday, you will hear the gospel, even if it's just sometimes in a sentence or two, but you will hear it. If you have been here for years, you will be confronted with the gospel time and again. If you are here in this church for the first time today, you will hear, have heard the gospel. If you bring a friend to this church, you can be assured that they will hear the gospel. And there is no greater need that people have than to hear and respond to the gospel of Jesus Christ. The leaders of ISIS need to hear and respond to the gospel. Abusers and suicidal people need to hear the gospel. But not just people like that. Your boss needs to hear the gospel. There's nothing your neighbors need to hear more than the gospel and to respond to it. There's nothing your kids need more. Your friends, your fellow students. And those people who seem to have it all together and seem happy need to hear the gospel. Without it, they will never know that they are sinners in need of grace and in need of a savior. People who have gone to church for years need to hear the gospel repeatedly in case they forget it's all about Jesus and not about the church or whatever. You need, I need, to be confronted with the gospel repeatedly. If you feel that you have to keep your sins at a minimum and then perform correctly to make God accept you, you need to hear the gospel of God's grace. If you come to church on Sundays but don't really care about God from Monday to Saturday, you need to hear the gospel of judgment for your sin and then hear about God's grace. If you take for granted God's grace, then you need to hear the gospel about God's love and what it cost him to extend grace to you. If you feel like other people can be forgiven of their sins, but not you, you need to hear, you need to hear the gospel about the death of Christ and what it accomplished. If you feel like you, for, you can be forgiven, but not your neighbor, you need to hear the gospel about God's love, not just for you, but for all people. You need to and will hear the gospel proclaimed in this place. Everyone needs the gospel, and so we proclaim it. And if they don't hear it from the Christian community, how will they, will they hear and like Ron said, if we are truly Christ-focused, 
then gospel proclamation will be natural, as it was for the first generation of Christians. Paul proclaimed Jesus in the synagogues. And again, a few chapters later, he proclaimed God in the synagogues. He proclaimed forgiveness of sins. He proclaimed the word of God. He proclaimed the gospel. He proclaimed Christ himself. He proclaimed the gospel of God. He proclaimed the excellencies of God. In our scripture reading for today, the apostle John and his uh, companions proclaimed the life, the eternal life that they themselves had heard and seen and touched. The life that was with the Father and was made manifest to them. Jesus, first on. They proclaimed him. And in the New Testament, whenever the activities of God among men are spoken of, the word of God, the gospel of Jesus, they are proclaimed. Something about the word proclaim. To proclaim has to do with words. To claim something is to make a statement about yourself. To offer a disclaimer is to say that what you claimed, you actually didn't. You exclaim someone, it's hard to not picture that with words. So to proclaim is to state something out loud, publicly. To acclaim is to praise someone in words. A statement that is attributed to St. Francis, he didn't probably say it, but preach the gospel at all times. If necessary, use words. Sounds good, but we should demonstrate the gospel with our actions. We should live the gospel even when we're alone. But we cannot preach, we cannot proclaim the gospel without words. No one will ever know they are a sinner in need of judgment, in danger of judgment, and in need of a savior, unless that truth is brought to them with words. To feed the hungry, to comfort the afflicted, without the gospel is to offer what I call comfort measures to people on their way to hell. Now, the gospel should always be partnered with care for people, love for people. But care for people should always be accompanied with a gospel made explicit in words. You can't preach the gospel without words. And if we are truly all about Jesus, truly enamored with him, truly committed to his worship, then we will be committed above all else to drawing the focus of people, more and more people to him. And the way that happens is, yes, demonstrating and yes, living, but especially in speaking the gospel. Proclamation is but one way to speak the gospel. We as a gathered church, an evangelical church, are committed to gospel proclamation. But we want to be a place where the gospel is just naturally spoken. 
Not proclaimed, but spoken. Upstairs, as we speak, teacher, or teachers are speaking the gospel to our kids. Christine or Candace speak the gospel to Elijah and Cade and Avery. Each week, Josh and Sophia speak the gospel to Paige and David and Hallie. They are speaking words of life. Words of judgment, but also words of grace. And these, these are not the church of tomorrow. They are the church of today. And I pray that they too will speak the gospel to their friends and that they will be world changers. Parents speak the gospel, hopefully, to their children. We, Kara and I, and many of you, try to read the Bible every night with our kids. And as you read and talk about it with them, the gospel weaves its way into the conversation. If you're reading the Bible, the gospel can't help but come up. And may the Lord get a hold of our kids' hearts and lead them toward abandonment of their wills to the name of Jesus. Some of you speak the gospel to those around you. You've had, you have held small groups among your neighbors to introduce them to the gospel. You have conversations with your coworker, carpool buddy. You interact about issues of faith with other parents as you're watching the game. And one by one, God is transforming people. And the way in which God is making the change is the gospel. The gospel has power. And in all these ways, the gospel is proclaimed and just spoken to those who need it, which is everyone. But now comes this word, grace. Proclaiming the gospel of his saving grace. Grace is probably the hardest word for Christians to understand. We can easily, easily spelt off the definition, unmerited favor, or getting what we don't deserve. We can see what it looks like in our context. Despite our sin, God has clothed us with the righteousness of Christ and has opened the gates of heaven for us. He accepts us on that basis. He loved us. From that perspective, we get it. But do we really? Isn't there an unspoken but in our understanding of grace? God accepts us by grace provided, but only if we hold up our end of the bargain. And God says, what bargain? So we say, God's grace doesn't cover that sin. I mean, that's pretty significant. And God says, are you saying that my son's life is not sufficient to atone for your sin? So we say, well, I'm not really forgiven unless I try hard to at least be worthy somewhat. And God says, are you calling me a liar? So we say, don't I have to earn it somehow? And God says, look it up. <laughs> grace cannot be earned. That's what makes it grace. 
Grace is extended. Grace is given. I hate it when restaurants charge for a gratuity from the word grace and put it on the bill. Then it's not a gratuity. A gratuity tip is extra cash given freely by the diner over the top of the cost of the meal. You have been given grace. You've been given grace by God himself. It drives God crazy when we try to live worthy of grace before the fact. As if God waits, us to, waits for us to cross the worthiness line before extending grace. If we swing the hammer hard enough, we can hit the grace bell. This morning, my son was complaining about a website that says his free trial required payment before he could use their service. He said, what does free mean if you have to pay for it? He's bang on. So why do we think we have to pray, pay for free grace? There's not a thing you can do to make God love you any more than he does. There's not a thing you can do to make him love you any less than he does. There's nothing you can do to cause him to withhold forgiveness. There are times in my life where I choose to ignore God. Not just times when I'm, I'm dry spiritually, but times where I consciously say, I'm going to set God aside for now and pursue him again tomorrow. And God knows my heart. He says, Ken is willfully turning his back to me. But he never withholds his grace and forgiveness until I turn to him again. Even while I'm turning my back, he's already forgiven me for it. I remember thinking, and I've heard this before from other Christians, that if I was a Christian who had asked for and received forgiveness for my sins, nevertheless, if I sinned again and died before I had a chance to confess that sin, I was in danger of hell. But does God feed me grace as long as I ask for it? Does God feed me grace as long as I ask for it? I've been preaching here for 15 years, and nothing I have said is more important than what I'm going to say here now. So, listen up. Our sins, all of them, have already been forgiven through the death of Jesus Christ. I'll say it again. Our sins, all of them, have already been forgiven through the death of Jesus Christ. That's what we mean when we talk about the finished work of Christ. All that is needed to forgive sins, he accomplished on the cross, all of it. I don't look to my own future confession for grace. 
I look backwards 2,000 years and see forgiveness and grace already poured out on my sin and on yours. This is a pretty stunning truth. That means that if I sin tomorrow, that sin has already been forgiven. Even if I sin intentionally and willfully, that sin is already forgiven. And that's why I do not ask God to please forgive me. <laughs> I confess my sin, but I do not ask for forgiveness. Now, you can, and that's fine, but I do this as a reminder to myself that my sin is already forgiven, even before I'm, a, uh, I'm aware of it, let alone confess it. If I have already decided today that I will sin tomorrow, I am already forgiven for that. No matter what the decision is, no matter how gross it is, it's forgiven. That's pretty scandalous. But that's the gospel that we proclaim. And in my summary of the gospel, the beginning of this message, it wasn't just a throwaway line to say, God didn't have to do this, but he did, it's grace. My summary of the gospel did not end one line before. Grace is the heart of the gospel. Grace is the core concept of the gospel. We haven't proclaimed the gospel unless we've made a big deal of grace. It's almost dangerous. Grace might be perceived as permission to sin. It's not. But we need, needn't try to be perfect to hang on to the grace. In Christ, you are forgiven. Past, present, future. God is not just great. He's good. This is a gospel we proclaim, the gospel of his saving grace. We were sinners, facing judgment. But God loves us. He loved you. God gave his son, Jesus, to bear the punishment for our sin, for your sin. In Christ, there is forgiveness. In Christ, therefore, there is no condemnation. God did not have to do it. Did not have to do this, but he did. And there you are. That's the gospel that we proclaim. And it's good. It's very good news. The pressure is off. It's all grace. Let me pray. I know that even as I preach this sermon, and for many of us, even as we hear it, grace is too big for us to understand. And we'll have our whole lives to get used to it. But we thank you for your grace. We thank you that our sins are forgiven, even those we haven't committed yet committed or forgiven 
based on what Jesus did. Thank you for your forgiveness. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for this good news. Thank you for this gospel. And we will share it. That's what you call us to do as a church. We will proclaim the gospel. And we pray this in the name of Jesus, who is the cause of the gospel, the location of the gospel. In his name we pray. Amen.